Welcome to Critical Issues Commentary, the podcast ministry of Gospel of Grace Fellowship, a non-denominational Christian church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. This is Jessica Kramus, your host for today, and I'm speaking with Bob DeWay, Gospel of Grace's teacher and theologian and author of Critical Issues Commentary. In this series, we have been discussing Dutch Sheets' book, Intercessory Prayer. According to the cover, it has sold over 600,000 copies. So last week, we were discussing this idea of intercessory prayer, and we showed you that Jesus is our intercessor, and the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. We pray we are not intercessors. And we're going to continue that theme today as, as we pick up our discussion in chapter three of the book. Now, you had mentioned you had a passage in Ezekiel that really demonstrates our position versus his position. Would you read that for us? Yes, maybe I'll reference the one that he emphasizes it and then show if you keep reading Ezekiel, you'll find out the problem is in God's lack. Okay. So he cited Ezekiel 22.30 at some point. I searched for a man among them who would build up the wall to stand in the gap before me for the land so I would not destroy it, but I found no one. We did discuss that in a previous episode, and we showed that in the context, it's very clear that the problem wasn't that God didn't have anyone, but that they had all apostatized. Right. It's talking about man's moral condition, not God's lack. Right. One of the things that I noticed as I've been reading, this is probably the third time through this book because we have been covering this topic, and frankly, Anything that Sheets and others of the New Apostolic Reformation can find about God lacking something, they jump on it. Yes. Anything that glorifies man or some great person that's going to fill in God's lack, that's the verse they love. And Sheets is no exception. But they jump around. They miss the key points. And when they get done... Um, cutting up the Bible to find what really works for their theology, you have a skewed or totally blasphemous view of God himself. Wow, absolutely. Yeah, skewed at best, but I think it's blasphemous because now God is lacking. So how do we have confidence that God's purposes will ever be done? Right. We did a series last year on the dishonoring of God, and it's exactly what it is. It takes the glory from God and gives it to man. And it also makes us responsible for things that only God can do. Right. So just to give a clear view of the book of Ezekiel, let me read Ezekiel 36, 22 through 26. Okay. And here's what it says. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, which by the way is Yahweh, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. For I will take you from the nations 
gather you from all the lands and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness, from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you, remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. This happens, some of this cited in the New Testament, but only God can change these things. That's right. So Which God, one of us can yeah. give ourselves a new heart? No, God asks to bring honor to his own name. When I graduated from seminary, I had to write a thesis that would integrate all the important doctrines of systematic theology under one heading. And this is the topic I chose, honoring okay. God, honoring God. God will vindicate the holiness of his own name. Yes. Now, this happens in stages. It's not totally complete. But okay. uh, he brought them back from the Babylonian captivity. And that's what the prayer of Daniel is about, which, by the way, Sheets gets wrong. Um, then fast forward, you have the intertestament, excuse me, the intertestamental period. You have the fulfillment of part of Malachi that happens through John the Baptist. You have Messiah, God the Son, and you have redemption and his ascension to the right hand of God, God, Psalm 110, verse 1. Hebrews calls it the right hand of the majesty on high. And so he intercedes for us, and Sheets gets it wrong. He doesn't need a sinner on earth to intercede. He has the exalted Savior interceding and the Holy Spirit interceding. Yes. Okay, that's what the Bible says. Right. And so, are we going to do a better job than the Holy Spirit? No. Holy Spirit? Reading this wow, is very, very painful. Yes. It reminds me of the false teachings I heard many times as a young Christian. And for a while, I believed some of this. And then I realized it's impossible. It's always going to fail. Yeah. And if we can't trust God to do what he says he will do, how are we going to trust some supposed holy man on earth who's still a sinner to get right what God failed at? Wow. It, you know, it, it really should be shocking. And yet it's just so generally accepted. It's just how people think. Well, that false thinking is reinforced by popular preachers, uh, rallies, Teachers like Todd Bentley, I get emails uh, where he's doing the exact same thing. And, and um, God is going to give him some great glorious thing that us ordinary people have no hope of. But my hope isn't in a prophet like uh, these false apostles and prophets of the New Apostolic Reformation. My hope is in Christ and God's promises in Christ. And Christ is God incarnate, crucified, raised, ascended on high, and coming again. And that's where it is. So God will act to give us not only now during the church age, Jews and Gentiles, the one new man who are born of God and are grafted in part of the promise. Eventually, he's, always going, he's also going to act to vindicate his name vis-a-vis ethnic national Israel. 
Yes. And it's called a millennial reign. Now, frankly, God acts to vindicate his name. The yes. idea he that um, the Sheets teach is that he needs a man. And of course, Sheets is there and he gets all these stories in here. Right. About how he gets revelations and he tells God what to do so that God can get something done. Yep. And he even says here on page 50 of his book, our calling and function is not to replace God, but to release him. Okay. So what does he mean about releasing God? Well, it's another part of where this is going, his false teaching on binding and loosing. Okay. He gets most of these things wrong. God doesn't need to be released. God acts. What we need yes. to do is believe God's promises. Amen. So this will help the theology of people who are wanting to learn and are tired of being harmed by the Todd Bentley's and uh, Bill Johnson's and Mike Bickles and C. Peter Wagner, who's no longer in the scene of history, who's cited favorably by Dutch Sheets as part of this movement. We don't need any of these guys. They're false teachers. But the point isn't who's happy, who's powerful, who did a miracle, who's fun to listen to, who has a lot of followers, who has sold a lot of books. It doesn't matter. None of it matters. What has God said? Yes. What has God promised? Do, do we believe his promises or is God waiting for us to get a clue so that we can release him? That's what she claims. Right. As he we need to trust the promises of God. Or repented or humbled himself and said, you know what? God can act without my uh, help. And he, he says that and then says the opposite almost on the same page. Page. Right. He says our calling and function is not to replace God, but to release him. So, no, God's promise is to work through his man, God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, who's unique. Yes. When it says the only begotten, that's the unique one, the only one of his kind. And okay. so rather than the uniqueness of the Savior... Psalm 110 verse 1 is the most cited verse in the New Testament out of this an Old Testament verse. And it's about Christ's session at the right hand of God. Yes. He intercedes for us. And he doesn't need us to travel to heaven like some people claim they have. He doesn't need us to tell him what to do. He needs us to believe his promises and trust him and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins. Amen. That is our role. That is the Great Commission. That's what we are called to do. I can illustrate what's wrong with this theology from some of the things that are just in these books that he cites in the Old Testament, because he doesn't read the whole thing. Yes. For example, look at what it says here. I will give you a new heart. Elsewhere, we read, make for yourselves a new heart. Right. Look, you can look that up. But they can't do it. Yeah. So why would God say, make yourselves a new heart, and then later say, I'll give it to you? 
because we need to realize we cannot do it. That's right. And so false teachers assume that if God says something, that we have the ability to do it. Well, and that's not true. And we really see that in the interaction between Jesus and Nicodemus. How am I to be born again? Shall, shall I you know, enter my mother's womb? Right. The whole point was that it's not something we can do ourselves. Right. And let me also warn people, and not everybody that listens to us is here in America, and I understand that. But in our particular country, uh, Charles Finney, a, a heretic, that, and I've shown that by revealing he's a Pelagian heretic from his own writings, he claims that God won't command anything that we don't already have the ability to do. Yes. Which is exactly Pelagianism. Okay. Okay. Human ability. Right. Okay. He says we need revival. Revival is not a miracle. It's simply the right use of means. Oh, wow. And I've cited that in my, uh, I did the research on that when I was in seminary. It was shocking. I didn't realize how heretical Finney really was. Yes. And so this, I can do it, just give me the tools, can do, we're going to be great. God will just help us create the millennium right here and now. And if God says you can make a clean heart for yourself, then you can do it. It's perfectionism. But they don't right. read the whole counsel of God. Here's a warning. Don't listen to preachers who never, ever take the whole book they're teaching from and expound it and make sure they understand the entire book. Or they don't take a word and put it in a paragraph and put a paragraph into a chapter and yeah. teach the whole counsel of God. If you pick and choose here, 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 you can come up with sheets of theology. God needs us. Okay. Well, He's, he chooses to work through us, but then he cites the verses that would indicate he needs a man he's lacking, so somebody better show up. Frankly, God is bringing honor and glory to his own name through saving unworthy, helpless, hopeless sinners, and doing so by his means, his grace, and his power, and it's not a cooperative effort between God and certain people. Yes. And you know, God, when he is working his purposes through us, he can use the newest believer to share the gospel. He can use any of us. We don't need to be a great and mighty man of God for God to use us. Yes. And it's interesting how that gets turned around continually. The other day, I went from memory and then went and looked, looked up all the passages that I think I essentially got it right. In Luke, for example, there's a series of events that show that Jesus Christ, God incarnate, has power over everything that the people feared. In Luke, I believe chapter 8, they said, Master, we perish. He, he calms the sea. They feared dying at sea. Yes. Okay, that's, mm -hmm. that's obvious in the Bible. The sea was a very bad place. And it was evil. And that's where you land and die with, with the demons. You don't want to go there. Right. So they were fishermen, but they feared the storms. And then they went over to the Gerizims. 
And there was a man there, Gentile, in worse condition than anyone could think of. Okay. He, he was totally insane. And as yes. the narrative unfolds, he's called, he's a gathering demoniac. He's chained in a cemetery. He's naked. He's just crazy. They couldn't even go near him. Yeah. But who comes and delivers him? Jesus Christ. Yes. And people take that to be a technology of deliverance, but he shows that everything they feared, demons, uncleanness, uh, bondage, Gentile territory where everything's unclean, if they come in contact with it, they're going to go through an awful lot before they can be clean again. And then the, the man, the demons in the man, we are legion, they go into swine, the swine go down into the sea. The man is totally delivered. He's converted in the sense that he wants to follow Jesus. Yes. Come and follow me. That was already in Luke. And he said, no, go and stay in your country and tell the people what great things God did for you. Right. So he sends a newly delivered demoniac to speak about the mighty deeds of God. This is throughout Luke Acts. Wow. That is amazing. This is a preview in some way, only a, a different way, of the most horrid condition anyone could be in being used by God to proclaim the mighty deeds of God. Amen. So God has plans that don't require a demonized man in a cemetery Yes, chooses to use the things that are not to confound the things that are. Wow. And from there, this is amazing. Just if you read it, just read Luke, read it in order, read all of it. He goes from there and they come and they say, well, um, this important person's daughter is probably going to die. Master, can you come? Well, as they were going along, here's a woman with an issue of blood. Right. Okay. So right. she's been hemorrhaging for 12 years. What did that mean in there in the in Israel? And then she was unclean. Unclean. She yeah. Perpetually unclean. Right. That means you're alienated. Okay. You're unclean. So we have this guy delivered who's trusting in Christ and wants to follow him, sent to proclaim the mighty deeds of God. Then he heals her. Okay. They were on the way to um, this guy whose daughter was sick, and they said, Master, it's okay, it's too late, she died. Right. What does he do when he gets there? He raises <laughs> her. Right. Okay. So everything they feared, Jesus had the power and used the power to demonstrate that they need not fear. They needed to believe in him. Yes. So and there was man, nobody there yeah. in any of these situations. There was nobody there that was releasing Jesus to act. No. He had full authority to act all along without any cooperation yeah. or instigation from anybody else. Okay, exactly. That's our point here. Yeah. Through us, through us, through us, through us. Well, that's not how it happened in Luke. Right. And that's not how it happened with the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. Exactly. 
Um, and I have, I've had friends that just say they, they can't listen to my theology. They have to go somewhere else because they okay. can't tolerate the idea that God's in charge of his own universe. Which I don't understand that bringing someone comfort. Well, it does because of this liberal inclination that even conservatives have within them. Okay. In other words, everything has to be fair as we define fairness. Right. Okay. So if God delivers one person, then somehow everybody has to have the opportunity to have the same thing happen. And they have to have the, at least a little ability to push the right button. So it happens for them too. Right. Now, that's what they think. They would say, no, that's not what we believe. Well, what do you believe? Here's a test. I'm going to preach on this the next two weeks, this next week. Well, this, this will be different on a timing, but I've been studying this because I'm preaching on it. Okay. So I've had people contact me. I haven't heard from for a long time that have really had some major sorrows. And I ask each one of them to do the same thing, which is read and contemplate the meaning of Romans 8, 26, all the way to the end, I think, which is verse 39. There's your comfort. I can hardly find anyone who's comforted by it. Wow. Well, I'll tell you, it sure brings me comfort. But if we don't believe that God is sovereign over all of his creation, then it's going to be hard to find comfort in anything. Yes. So what does this have to do with Dutch sheets? It has everything to do with it. Because his theology is very much like most evangelicalism, only it's more extreme. Yes. Most people are more demure about claiming these things. Okay. Okay. Because we would like to give God the glory, but God's glory is stuck until somehow we do the right thing to add to it. So he ends up with the glory. Right. Okay, and the difference is between synergism and monergism. That's, I wrote about that, but let's just stick with what's going on here. Yes. It really does come up with this passage I just cited. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit remove the heart of stone. Yep. The same thing comes up, I believe, in Jeremiah. Circumcise your heart. Well, they can't do it. Later, and he says, I'll circumcise your heart. Right. Okay. Synergism says everything good that happens itself in a saving way is a cooperative effort between man and God. You know, I always like to tell people this, the story of Lazarus is a good picture of salvation. Yes. So Lazarus is there laying in the grave. He's dead. His sister says he stinketh, right? I mean, he, he's dead. He stinks. He has no ability to do anything. And Jesus tells him to rise up and, and calls him out of the grave. Yeah, well, now, just logically, did Lazarus have to decide to respond to Jesus in order to be brought back to life? Or did Jesus have to give him new life so that he could respond? Right. That, that's Obviously, our picture of salvation there. God has to give us the new birth first so yeah. that we can respond to the gospel. Right. And so you're absolutely right. Our pastor, Eric Dalma, preaches on that one a lot. 
Mm-hmm. It was stinking things up. What do sinners do? They stink everything up. Yeah. So if we're dead in sin, we don't make ourselves alive. God does it. Exactly. He uses means, but the means is the gospel preached. Yes. And as I've been showing by preaching through 1 Corinthians, at this point, I'm getting to the end of chapter 3 for about a week from, uh, as we're recording here, about a week after this. And I'm seeing that God gives all the glory because God does all the work of saving sinners. And he's chosen to use Christ crucified because that offends everybody. It's a scandal yes. of the Jews. It's moronic, thinking of the Greek Maria uh, with a omega, moronic to the Gentiles. Okay. To those who are the called, it's the power of God. Yes. For salvation. So if we preach the gospel, it'll offend everybody unless it converts them. Right. And then God gets all the glory. So therefore, and I'm including my friends, I don't know why some people will never accept that God is the one who does everything in salvation. Only God I... could cleanse a sinner. Only God could make the dead alive. Only God gives a new heart. Only God circumcises the heart. And that's why God gets all the glory. And some people say, no, 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 you're a Calvinist. So they've said that um, John Calvin invented that, and Calvin has so many bad things, which I agree. Why would you call me a Calvin? There's not a Calvinist creed that I could sign yeah. where they'd accept me into their church. Right. Because I reject their eschatology and reject their ecclesiology. So if I don't agree with their doctrine of the church or doctrine of, of end times, then they don't want me. Yeah. And so Luther taught all glory goes to God and monergism before Calvin did. But nevertheless, it's biblical. Okay. Right. So some people are so offended by Calvin, they'd rather not give God all the glory because they need to retain their two cents worth so, so it works. Yes. But that just doesn't work. And so I decided in the 90s when I was in seminary and I saw the results happening before my eyes, when you go to something else, that either we honor God and we believe the whole counsel of God, or we end up with something that's man-centered. The next time we record, which won't be long, yeah, um, I want to have that verse ready from earlier in Ezekiel, but here's what it says, Ezekiel 36, 26. Look it up, write it down, Ezekiel 36, 26. Moreover, I will give you a new heart, but a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. God will put a new spirit in hard-hearted, rebellious Israel, and then ultimately during the church age, Jews and Gentiles will become the one new man. That's an act of God. That's not something that's just sitting there waiting to be actuated by some sinner adding his two cents. Right. So that's what we want to emphasize. Okay. Now, in, in this series, we've mentioned several times that you've spent years teaching through Luke and Acts. If listeners are interested, you can find that on the website, ggf.church, and just 
go to sermons and then by scripture and click on Luke and all of the Luke sermons will come up for you. Acts, he's been teaching in Sunday school. So you can go to Sunday school and by scripture and click on Acts and all of those will be there too. And there's a lot of lot of sermons and Sunday schools on that. That'll take you a while, but you'll really get a good view of Luke Acts as the two volume work. And First Corinthians is what I've been doing lately. We are out of time for this edition of Critical Issues Commentary Radio. You can access this episode and many others, as well as years worth of articles at the website cicministry.org. While you're there, click on contact and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. We want to encourage you all to stand firm in one spirit with one mind and strive together for the faith of the gospel. For Critical Issues Commentary, this is Jessica Kramus. And Bob DeWay. We'll see you next week. 